Welcome, 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 geeks and nerds, girls and boys, to a brand new edition of geek to me Radio. Today we are joined by Professor Travis Smith, author of the book Superhero Ethics. We'll get into the genesis of the idea of the book. We'll also discuss which superheroes made the cut and which one is the most worthy of our ethical emulation. All that and more, stand by. We're talking to Right now we're talking with author of Superhero Ethics, Travis Smith, who is an associate professor of political science at Concordia University. Travis, how are you? I'm doing very well, James. Thanks for having me on the show today. Absolutely. Uh, this book was right up my alley, so huge thanks to Dan, uh, your publicist, who reached out and said, hey, we got this book from this author. I think it'd be a perfect fit. And after I read the book, it really is, because it's everything. Um, so in college... My degrees are political science and psychology, so I was able to track everything that you were saying, like this makes total sense, and I hadn't thought about this in this kind of way. It's brilliant how you took the comic book mythos and kind of transposed the ethics into this. How long in the making was this book for you? <laughs> oh, that's very kind of you. Um, the, the book took a few years to write. It went through several revisions until it finally got to the, the final stage. Part of the uh, process was I'm... Uh, usually writing as a strictly academic work. I've just you know, published articles on the philosophy of Thomas Hobbes and Alexis de Tocqueville lately. Um, but I'm a lifelong comic book reader and have all of the same sorts of uh, fandoms that a lot of your listeners do. And I had an opportunity to combine both my uh, interest as uh, an academic uh, and my uh, status as uh, nerds, nerd, and uh, <laughs> put these things together and, and, and have some fun with uh, the application of philosophical ideas to popular culture. And I'm really glad uh, that you, you found it accessible in that way. I sort of wrote it as a book where if you are uh, big into comic books, superheroes, uh, uh, the movies, um, and you want to look at them from a sort of political philosophical perspective to see what that might say to them i tried to write it for for that audience and at the same time i tried to write it so that if you were more of a sort of philosophy person and you wanted to see how uh, some of the ideas in classical philosophy applied to contemporary popular culture it would uh, read well to you as well so if, if if you were the kind of person who found the combination worked for you i'm, I'm glad to hear it Absolutely. And it, I was floored by the detail like you will get into when you're going into uh, something about this particular philosophical thing, why Batman kind of strikes here on the scale or why Thor is here. You would deep dive like in Batman issue 307 when he's fighting the electrocutioner, he has this. And it, so is your comic knowledge 
just that impressively vast? Or did you actually go, okay, I got to find an example of this and kind of dig through some of your back issues to, oh, this is a perfect example. It was a, it was a bit of both, right? I mean, um, uh, I've been reading, uh, I've been buying comic books since 1986 and reading them longer than that. And uh, so I've, I've got a bit of a collection and uh, uh, part of doing the research for the book was going back and digging out those issues I knew that would speak directly to the kind of arguments I was thinking of making. So whether it was going back to the Armor Wars storyline in Iron Man or going back to the Walt Simonson run on Thor, and I knew that there'd be some resources in there I would use. But also it gave me an opportunity to do some research. So I would uh, scour the internet for top 10 lists and and then go and acquire the issues in a lot of Silver Age Superman that I'd never read, for example, and absolutely fell in love with some stories I wasn't uh, familiar with because they you know, might have come out in the 70s before I was reading them. Uh, I've just recently, you know, gone off and read the entire run of the Legion of Superheroes as a result of having <laughs> done some Silver Age Superman research for the book. And so it was a combination of both. Uh, I've got some familiarity, uh, but it, it gave me some excuse to, to dig into things I hadn't read before. One of the things that guided me as a principal in writing the book was I wanted to make sure I wasn't just cheering for the characters that I had always loved the most, especially in my youth. I wanted to look at all the characters with a sort of critical eye. Uh, and so the ones that I had loved the most growing up, such as Green Lantern, I might have been tougher on because I really wanted to sort of put my biases and prejudices aside and think uh, sort of uh, about what they might say to me if I put my fandom aside and and, uh, and, 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 and rethought my love of the characters. And there are other characters that were never really my favorites, uh, like the Hulk, who I went and gave a, a, a fresh eyes to and a new look at and, and discovered that I enjoyed them uh, more than I'd realized. And I could come to really appreciate why the you know, lifelong Hulk fans uh, love the, the, the green behemoth so much. And just the Hulk, I'm not sure if you're, if you're keeping up with uh, immortal Hulk that Al Ewing is writing, but just the, the way he's writing that character now, you could probably do an entire novel on the the uh, the ethics of Bruce Banner versus Gray Hulk versus Green Hulk, it's such a interesting dynamic. Just that one character, but I love the way you've broken it yeah. down into chapter by chapter. Another one I wouldn't have thought of would be Mister Fantastic, because I know a lot of comic book fans, and I don't think he's ever come out as someone's favorite superhero. But you pit him against Captain America in such a compelling way that it really kind of makes you appreciate Mister Fantastic more. Was he another one that you weren't? as big of a fan of that you kind of chose just for his uh, posing values to cap? Well, writing the book gave me an opportunity to you know, read through the John Byrne runs. Again, I grew up with some of those issues uh, and read through the entire Hickman run. And uh, of course the original classics, I've got, you know, the black and white essential volume phone books, as it were, right. to get through a lot of stories quickly. Um, you know, Mr. Fantastic has a, a bad reputation because he's always a jerk, right? I mean, <laughs> he, 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 Norm MacDonald has a great comedy bit on uh, the Fantastic Four on one of his albums that I think gets to the heart of exactly how much of a jerk Reed Richards is. Um, but I I chose him because uh, he's at least familiar beyond comic book readers because they had done a few uh, Fantastic Four movies. It was important to me when writing this book to be accessible to people who maybe didn't have tens of thousands of comic books in the collection 
uh, Benton said might only know characters from movies. So I thought, well, you know, he's been in a few movies, even if they haven't been the most commercially successful. So there's some familiarity with him. But it was also the case I could use him to discuss the philosophic life, someone who is a truth seeker, someone who wants to know and to gain knowledge of the whole of the cosmos, someone who isn't just about fighting for justice, but discovering the nature of being itself, and that he had a different uh, motivation than your usual uh, you know, uh, superheroes who are more in the business of righting wrongs. And so Mr. Fantastic gave me an opportunity to, to look at that side of, of comic book herodom. And you compare the different superheroes. I'm just uh, just to let people know who are listening. So, chapter one, Hulk versus Wolverine. Chapter two is Green Lantern versus Iron Man. Chapter three is Batman versus Spider Man. Captain America and Mister Fantastic in chapter four, and finally you come up with Thor versus Superman. Then there's a contest of out of them who should be the most uh, morally praiseworthy. Is morally praiseworthy the best way to describe how that how that kind of comes about at the end? Yeah, I wanted to go with the sort of category that you would find in classical ethics. That was a social and political standard um, that wasn't just about power, uh, that wasn't uh, just about uh, modern universal theories of morality, but exemplified. I mean, heroes are, by nature, uh, supposed to be admirable, right? They're supposed to be worthy of emulation. They're supposed to be the kind of people we look up to uh, the kind of people that we wish we were like uh, when we were at when were we at our best, and so that aspect of the hero character was sort of the thing that I wanted to sort of, uh, in, in somewhat loose terms, set as a standard rather than you know who would win the fight or who's the most commercially successful or who's the coolest by some sort of just subjective standard like that. And it's very interesting, too, because obviously, especially when you're talking about characters who've been around for 80 plus years like Batman and Superman, they've got iterations of them that are completely different. Batman in the comic books in the 40s is much different than, you know, the Jim Starlin and Jim Apparel run in the 80s, much different than the Ben Affleck appearance. Uh, so you've got all these different media in which we find these characters. And Superman, you even mention it in the chapter of Superman versus Thor, couldn't be more different. Christopher Reeve versus Henry Cavill's take. And uh, not that there's anything as Henry Cavill, but I think it's the way he's written and drawn. It's more dark. Uh, you even, I think you use the term gloomy. When you're going through this, was it difficult to separate certain ideas or certain writers' uh, perceptions of the characters for the overall chapter? And we're going to take our first break, come back, get Professor Travis Smith's answer to that question right after this. So stand by. Hi, this is George Newbern, the voice of Superman. You are listening to Geek to Me Radio. Welcome back to Geek to Me Radio. I am your host, James Enstall, talking this hour with Professor Travis Smith about his book, Superhero Ethics. Uh, fascinating read. I really enjoyed it both as a comic book geek and also just a political science major, psychology major. And one of the things we talked about before we went to break, we asked him about separating different writers' takes on characters uh, for each character's chapter, how he kind of divvied them up and what he looked at when he was writing about a particular character for this book. 
you're getting at uh, one of the sort of chief uh, challenges of, of writing a book like this. I did stipulate that there must be something like an ethical core to a character such that when we, you know, as, as fans, we know when they've got it wrong. Right. I mean, since X-Men in 2000, we comic book fans have felt like they finally started getting superheroes right in film. They started to be more true to the nature of the characters. A lot of television movies prior to that, they seemed to feel the need to alter the characters in such significant ways that we always felt when we were watching them that they were that they were off, even, you know, betrayed the character in some way. So um, I trusted in fans feeling that they can tell when. Uh, something is a betrayal of the character or too far of a deviation from the character that's no longer recognizable as such. Even within the comic books with a multiverse, we can sort of tell when, even when confronted with a hundred different versions of a character, even when in some way they've gone dark or something, we, we know that it's uh, in some way that's related to and tethered to that core of the character that makes sense of why that version of them is a dark version of that character, Right. And so I, I, I trusted in this idea that, you know, uh, there must be something to the nature of uh, each given characters that we can recognize them as a version of that character, uh, which allowed me to make some simplifying moves, right? The, the, the sort of two uh, major cinematic versions of Superman. One of the points I make in the book is that one of the things we see is the difference in storytelling in the, in the fight scenes. I'm, I'm still a big fan of Superman 2 for all of its flaws, such as, you know, the, the, the cellophane uh, S and <laughs> That's the worst. so on. I mean, I, it, it, it's, a, it's a flawed movie, but um, the fight scene in Metropolis, even though it's sort of much more slow-paced and deliberate, there's real storytelling going on there, where I felt like, you know, the Man of Steel fight with Zod was just, you know, video games smash him up for 20 minutes uh, yeah. without what professional wrestling fans would call psychology. Uh, <laughs> and so... Um, there's definitely these differences, uh, but I think that there's a core and I tried to extract what I took to be the core. Um, and part of it was also guided by the purposes of the book to try to illustrate different ethical, uh, metaphors that the different characters could be used in order to give articulation to, to give expression of, uh, and so I try to seize upon particular takes on each character that were recognizably consistent with their ethical core and allowed me to draw some contrasts for the sake not only of comparing them against each other as superheroes, but for the sake of il- using them as illustrations for different kinds of people in the real world that we are prone to regard as praiseworthy or admirable or worthy of emulation in some way because uh, the, the book is intended to try to use superheroes in order to explore different kinds of ways of life that we non-super, non-powered people in the real world uh, are sort of analogs to that we can, that we, you know, we regard them as people, as characters that we might try to, you know, give to our children as examples worthy of imitation, even if they don't have a Green Lantern power ring in order to turn their imagination into reality via willpower directly. It's still a metaphor for how we try to act in the world. And the book, again, is Superhero Ethics from Templeton Press. Uh, when you were writing this, the, did was it tempting at all to stick with, okay, we're just going to take 10 Marvel characters or just 10 DC characters? Obviously, you could do that. Was this kind of a more broad appeal to have both comic companies of the big two included? Or was it just a literal, this is the archetype of this particular moral compass that I want to use, and he happens to be DC? 
Yeah, now there were a couple of things that went into the decision-making process and making sure that I was choosing characters that, uh, that generally speaking, the general public would be more familiar with in the modern movie era was one of the principal criteria. Um, I mean, if, if it had just been me picking the characters I thought were most fascinating, um, I would have, you know, probably gone with an entire book full of what, you know, people not in fandom would regard as obscurities. I could have easily written 20 pages on Squirrel Girl. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I, I didn't want, I wanted the book to be uh, accessible. So I sort of had as a guiding principle the characters that were featured prominently in movies at the time when I was setting the structure of the table of contents. Mm. So that was a time when the DC movies were just starting to get going and starting to catch up a little bit to the momentum that the Marvel Cinematic Universe had established. And so the book does lean Marvel. Uh, in, in, as a way, sort of an artifact of, of that, uh, sort of the time in which the book was written more than anything else was that, you know, more and more Marvel characters were becoming more familiar to more people at the time that I was sitting down to sort of sketch out the form of the book. And then there was, yeah, I needed to make sure that the speakers, that, so that the characters spoke to specific ways of life or particular moral dilemmas or issues and so there were some characters that i struggled with i confessed in the book at the time i couldn't figure out uh what what uh what i could use the flash to say yeah got a better sense of that now uh the flash television show was just coming on the air as i was writing the book uh and so when i was conceiving of the book and so uh, you know but, but yeah it didn't work out and so um it didn't really express any particular prejudice in favor of one company or the other. I'm a lifelong fan of both. Uh, both both companies have a fair amount of my money, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm not I'm not trying to privilege one over the other. Uh, and right, I mean, uh, you know, I could have written the chapter say I'm Mr. Terrific now. You know, characters that you know, uh, Star Girl are going to make more right familiar um but uh so i had to forego some of my personal favorites uh in order to write in a way that was more accessible to more people so is there plans for a sequel because like i said this book i found riveting i blew through it very quickly i'm saving the last chapter till after i have my conversation with you just to gain some more insight before i finish that last chapter but is there a sequel in the works and like you said now that a lot of these characters are more popular we might see wonder woman versus squirrel girl or someone like that for example and we'll take our next break come right back and get professor travis smith's answer to that question right after this please stand by Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman. You're listening to Geek to Me Radio. Welcome back to Geek to Me Radio, the show that would not be possible without the support of our sponsors and our premier sponsor helping us since the very beginning is the Greater St. Charles Convention and Visitors Bureau. You've heard me talk about them. If you've been a longtime listener of the show, you probably know the website by heart. Say it with me, discoverstcharles.com. That's right, discoverstcharles.com for an historically good time. You can go to the website, plan your trip. If you're from out of town, find places to stay. If you're from in the area, check out some stuff that they have going on, the upcoming festivals they have. 
find out there on the website what they're doing to keep you safe, as well as their store owners and customers safe during this COVID crisis in which we find ourselves. You can get all that on the website. Uh, just It's really a great place to visit if you're from the area and you've visited before. You know what I'm talking about with the Frontier Park, with the Katy Trail, the bike riding, the, all the things that are outdoors, uh, the activities, the, the dining that they have out there, everything you could possibly want. It's a beautiful place, and I wish more people knew about it and wish more people would come to visit. You can check out the website, plan your trip right now. Once again, discoverstcharles.com, discoverstcharles, Saint is not spelled out, discoverstcharles.com. And if you visited before, shoot me an email. Let me know what you think. That's uh, geek2meradio at gmail.com. And just put in the subject line in all caps, St. Charles. And if you visited and you've uh, got a unique take on it, Maybe I'll read your email in an upcoming show. So send that email over to us, geek2meradio at gmail.com, subject line St. Charles. As we always say, it's an historically good time. Right before we went to break, we were talking with Professor Travis Smith, as we are this entire hour, and we'd asked him about uh, his book that we've been discussing for this whole hour, Superhero Ethics, and we asked him if there was was a sequel in the works. I've actually got a sort of draft of a Wonder Woman versus Black Panther, since both okay. of those movies came out right at the time that the book was sort of being in the edit, final editing phase, right? Uh, and so uh, they weren't included to begin with, and I, and I had sort of hummed and hot over Wonder Woman because she was very well known. Uh, obviously, given how uh, long the character has been around and since the Super Friends and the 70s TV show. Uh, but I was sort of basing on who has been made popular by new movies. Um, but I also was having Wonder Woman, like The Flash, I was having trouble uh, figuring out uh, who, who what she would represent until it was too late. Uh, and right, I think that she and Black Panther make a fine comparison because uh, they come, they're, they're sort of royalty from uh, utopias. Uh, and so the question of what does the model of somebody who is uh, that uh, that fortunate uh, have to say to how people who are fortunate might make use of their good fortune in order to do good for others? Uh, I think both those characters are fantastic models of of how that uh, of, of how to model that kind of behavior. Um, I've also got a temptation to write something called supervillain ethics. Ooh. Uh, and uh, so that's that's been on the that's I've been jotting down some notes about how to do that different different sort of attitudes towards say the conquest of the world or uh, rationales justifications for what people call villainy. But I haven't I haven't sat down to write that manuscript yet. That would be fascinating, everyone. I think uh, you, you'll have to include Kingpin now. After uh, I love Michael Clark Duncan, but Vincent D'Onofrio just had such a sinister. Uh, brutal vibe to him in the Daredevil one. I think now everyone is a Kingpin fan. I haven't really given a lot of thought to Kingpin. That's interesting. Just okay, I'm putting it out there. <laughs> <laughs> and with everyone nowadays, it seems like uh, people want to see themselves represented. We're seeing more and more people, uh, more and more representation, I guess, in general, in the comic book world. With Now we've got uh, Kamala Khan as Ms. Marvel, uh, there's uh, more female characters. There's more person of color characters and everything like that. But I, I always felt like I, I related quite well as a you know normal white kid growing up to some of the characters who weren't necessarily look like me. Uh, with your book, I feel like it kind of strips away 
where they're from, what they look like, their gender, and boils it down to a moral core. So I would think that this kind of shows that I can be inspired as much by Wonder Woman as I could be by Captain America, per se. No, I think you're absolutely right. I do abstract away from those uh, qualities uh, that are obviously extremely politically significant for the sake of doing what I said, try to reach an ethical core that might have some appeal to anybody from anywhere. I mean, the fact that these movies do so well in every country around the world, even in countries like China with a totally different political regime, says something about the fact that these models of heroism are, they, they speak to the human condition as such, and they can appeal to uh, almost anybody. Uh, you know, the, the Iron Man's desire to transcend the human condition through technology. I, I, there's a Japanese edition of my book, and I was told by the translator there that my criticisms of Iron Man were poorly received by the audience there. <laughs> um, but uh, but you're entirely I mean, when I was growing up, Power Man and Iron Fist was a favorite book of mine. I have I've read every appearance of Kamala Khan. My son and I once a month used to read every new issue of Ultimate Spider-Man as they came out because Miles Morales is my son's yeah. favorite character. And so um, I remember Kelly Sue DeConnick once saying that uh, that as, imp- as important as re- representation is so that you know women have female heroes to look up to. Uh, getting it so that young men look up to female heroes is as important in some ways. Yes. And Carol Danvers has always, for like 15 years, has been my favorite superhero once I think I sort of figured out what she was all about. So I get that. Yeah, again, at the same time, At the same time, of, of course, goes without saying the importance of representation and, and the need to have uh, you know, heroes as were that people say look like me. That makes total sense. Yeah, no, that, like, like I said, that's, that's absolutely understandable. But I, as I said, Storm has always been one of my favorite X-Men. Obviously, I don't look like Storm or anything like that, but it's just, it's those inherent <laughs> core qualities that uh, kind of draw you to a certain character, which I think transcends identity. But obviously, it is not, I'm not saying that it's not great that we don't have Miles Morales as Spider-Man, that, that Mr. Terrific is not getting his time now, who's one of my very favorite DC Comics superheroes of all. Uh, it, it's it's an interesting dichotomy, though, when you think of people want to see themselves, but also the core of these characters should be universally appealing. We're going to pause right there, take our next break, and come back, continuing our conversation with Professor Travis Smith, author of the book Superhero Ethics. So please stand by. Hello everyone, this is Paul Souls, voice of Spider-Man and Ermie the Misfit Elf, wanted to be a dentist on Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Coming to you on geek to me Radio, hope you enjoy, talk with you soon. Here comes the Spider-Man, And we're back, talking with Travis Smith about his book Superhero Ethics. Right before we took that last break, we were discussing, looking at the characters that he's picked out for the book uh, be, be it Superman, Green Lantern, or Spider-Man, looking at the characters through identity versus their intrinsic qualities. That's one of the reasons why Miles Morales and Kamala Khan have, have been so successful, because they're both able to depict uh, particularities uh, that may not be familiar to, let's say, a lot of the comic book readership. 
um, one of the, you know, the portrayal of Kamala Khan's family situation is, is a particular thing. Uh, but there's the, you know, exposing people to it that is a good, even if it's not familiar to you. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, Kamala Khan is uh, a character that has uh, accessibility to anybody who remembers what it's like in high school uh, and the kind of feeling of being an outsider. And let's be honest, a lot of us uh, comic book fans felt like outsiders in high school. So we can, right. we can uh, get, <laughs> get that experience. And, and plus, I mean, disindigging has to be the best word invented in comic books in the last <laughs> decade. So. I think Gail Simone tweets that one out at least once a month. She just tweets the word for no reason other than it's a great word. <laughs> it's the greatest, yeah. And obviously you could apply this book to not just superheroes, but I was thinking after I was reading it, it's like, wow, you can kind of do the same thing with Kirk versus Picard and their style of leadership. You can kind of take uh, Star Wars characters. And have, have you thought about doing a non-superhero version, but more of just a sci-fi or a pop culture type version of uh, this type of book? I have two others in mind if I were to make a trilogy. Of course, we should make trilogies if things trilogies are inherently good. Of course. Um, and, and the next one would be professional wrestling and then one on rock and roll. Oh, nice. So are those, are those kind of in the works or just kind of like the idea of the seed is germinating in your brain at this point? I've, I've started writing a Socratic dialogue where Socrates goes down to the professional wrestling training school to find out whether or not he should train as a professional wrestler. So. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> and again, that's, that's the, the crossover between comic books and wrestling. The fandoms crossover quite a bit. You'll go to Galaxy Con and they'll have a wrestling ring set up where people are doing actually uh, you know, wrestling there at the convention. It's a huge crossover. Yes. Yes. No, um, well, it's storytelling about good and evil and right and wrong. I mean, it's it's uh, it, they're inherently appealing to the same part of the human soul in some way that wants to, uh, you know, is concerned with uh, the part of us that uh, you know gets angry, uh, that that gets uh, that that, that uh, cheers champions on, uh, that wants to see. Um, uh, uh, wants to see the admirable people triumph and wants to see the, uh, the ne'er-do-wells, uh, not do well. And, and so the, I think there's, uh, reasons why the, there's such an overlap that you point out. And as we mentioned in the very beginning, you're an associate professor of political science at Concordia University. There are, I think there's a, I can't remember if it's UCLA or if it's Berkeley. There's a college in California that, up until recently at least, taught a whole class on Batman. Uh, they've got another one that teaches a class on Buffy. So like you mentioned in the book, these are kind of our modern-day Greek pantheon, uh, these, these larger-than-life characters. Have you thought about teaching a course kind of based in this kind of uh, superhero ethics type of thing? I think it'd be, I think it'd be well-received. Yeah, I haven't designed a specific course dedicated solely to, but I do pepper my lectures in any class liberally with examples. Uh, and often I find that going to pop culture examples instead of real world examples uh, can be of some assistance to the students in the room who might not necessarily know what's going on somewhere else in the world, but they've seen a movie in which if I can speak uh, using some sort of analogy uh, with reference to, they can get the point that they might not have if I had depended on them knowing something that happened, you know, in ancient Rome uh, that they might not be as aware of, for example. Um, and so, yeah, my students are used to the fact that uh, I will go on apparent digressions in order to talk <laughs> about superheroes when I'm, you know, teaching Thomas Hobbes. But 
I haven't I haven't designed a course around it, but you're right. These are uh, all over the place in various universities. I regularly attend academic conferences like uh, my most recent one would have been at the Canadian Society for the Study of Comics, where there are you know comic scholars, an extremely interdisciplinary field huh. uh, in which you know, there are everything from like quantitative analyses of the advertisements in you know in, in the books dating back decades to uh, close readings of you know identity politics issues uh, as either portrayed positively or negatively by contemporary or previous characters, all kinds of uh, different kinds of uh, studies. I actually gave a paper that was sort of in disability studies at the last time I attended one of these. So it's, it's, it's a fascinating branch of academia. I had, I guess, about three years ago now, edX through the Smithsonian offered an online course taught by film producer Michael Uslan and Stan Lee on the rise of superheroes and their impact on pop culture. I took the online course and signed up as soon as they allowed it and found it fascinating. But I think it's just that, A, it is such a permeate, it permeates our pop culture, the, this whole superhero genre. And like you said, when you think about the ethics, the, the political, the moral relevancy of all this stuff, it, it makes sense that courses like that should be kind of become more mainstream, I think, don't you? Yeah, well, look, part of the justification that I give to my book is that when you go back and you read your ancient Greek philosophy, uh, Plato and your Aristotle are constantly making reference to Homer and, the, uh, and, and to uh, Aeschylus and Sophocles and the, the myths and the heroes and the stories of their gods uh, in their day. This is what, right, in some way, you might say, passes their popular culture about you know, you know, how to tell stories about right and wrong. And so the the, uh, the the appearance of these kinds of courses across the disciplines today at the universities makes sense, and, I, and I'd argue is totally justifiable from a perspective that dates back to the, the ancient Greeks. Of course, yeah. That I mean, and, and it's much more accessible. Like you said, you kind of pepper these analogies in because it sometimes feels that Sophocles and all these people are kind of way beyond our reach and abstract at this point almost, where if you say, oh, but Superman gives an example of doing this it people kind of sit up and they're like oh yeah that makes sense so i i can see why you would do that and again why this book was so fascinating right. to me yeah no um in plato's republic there's a discussion of the man of perfect justice in, in the second book in which they discuss somebody who always does the right thing even though they always get a reputation for doing the wrong thing <laughs> Okay, and, and you would know that they're perfectly just if they do that because they're never doing the right thing because it's going to pay off in some material or reputational advantage. But they do the right thing because it's the right thing, even though they always get a bad reputation. Because well, let's be honest, people who do the right thing in society often get the bad reputation because vested interests and powers are always going to protect themselves. And so, if you try to, you know, speak truth to power or fight back, they're going to malign you and. And, uh, and and try to misrepresent you. That happens. But the, perf the, per the person of perfect justice is always consistently happening. And so in class, I always use Peter Parker as the example. Of because, course. You know, if, if Spider-Man goes to stop Dr. Octopus trying to rob a bank, you know the very next day the Daily Bugle is going to have a headline that says, Spider-Man was helping Dr. Octopus rob the bank. <laughs> It's it's so, I always feel so bad for Peter. But it, again, that's why he is such a relatable character because he is that every man. We'll pause right there. Take our very last break. Come back and wrap up our conversation about superhero ethics with author Professor Travis Smith. Please stand by. 
Hi, this is Will Friedel. You might have heard my voice as Lion-O from Thundercats, Ron Stoppable, or Batman Beyond. And you are listening to geek to me Radio. And as we wrap up our last segment here on geek to me Radio, I would like to mention our other sponsor, Marcus Theaters. That's MarcusTheaters.com. Movies are back, people. Uh, Tenet is out in theaters. We've got New Mutants, which I was very disappointed didn't do as well as I'm sure the people involved with the film were, since it was like supposed to be released two years ago, and it's just now coming out. Um, they took a chance releasing it in this particular time in which we find ourselves, but for better or for worse, it's finally out. If you've seen it, uh, let me know what you think. Send me an email or tweet at me, at geek to me Radio on Twitter. Just shoot me a uh, tweet and say, hey saw new mutants here's what i thought give it a rating and we're going to try to do a little more user interaction with our listeners and if you had a review if you sent us an email about something you've seen we're going to try to get to that on the air in future episodes uh at geeks me radio on twitter and instagram marcus theaters on twitter and instagram great place to see a movie if you've done so already you know what i'm talking about if you haven't had the chance yet Go to the website, MarcusTheaters.com, find the one closest to you, see what movies are playing. They're opening responsibly, they're opening sensibly, social distancing, selling out the theaters in a much lower capacity so that we can do social distancing there in the theaters. Masks are required when you're in your seats in the movie theater, and they're doing it the smart way. I'm anxious to get back. I'll take it any way I can get it. And Marcus Theaters is, for my money, the best place to see a movie. MarcusTheaters.com. Get gift cards. Get get some merchandise. Have stuff sent to your home. If you want the giant popcorn, if you still want to stay in, that's fine. You can have movie night at home with a lot of their sales and deals they have going on the website. Once again, MarcusTheaters.com. Very proud to have them as our official movie sponsor here on geek to me Radio. As we wrap up our last segment, we're talking with Professor Travis Smith, author of the book Superhero Ethics, and we were talking Spidey and Superman and how different characters appeal to different people. Yeah, it's one of the things I thought about when writing the book is sort of when you ask people who's their favorite, you know, there's sort of something really telling about the answers that people give. Do they give answers that are the people that they think they are like, right? Uh, or just like, does somebody like Peanuts cartoons because their life really makes them kind of like a Charlie Brown? Uh, um, or do they, do they pick heroes because of the, the, the people that they wish they were, the, though, the, though they know that they're not? Right. I mean, one of the things in the last several years was the appeal of the Clone Wars cartoon. Yes. My son and I loved watching the Clone Wars. And boy, oh boy, do they really make Anakin Skywalker. I mean, he's a, a, a troubled hero, but they, they try to make him as heroic as they can. Um, yet we all know what's going to happen to Anakin. And there's certainly a great deal of appeal that, you know, Clone Wars era Anakin have to uh, a young person watching and getting excited and rooting them on. Although I think my favorite line in the entirety of the Clone Wars cartoon is in the, uh, the Zella Beast episode. I'm sure you remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, where uh, Anakin jumps out of the, tr- the transport and falls, you know, uh, hundreds of meters onto the back of the Zilla Beast. And there's a conversation between uh, Captain Rex and Obi-Wan, I think it is. I'm trying to remember, I think it's Rex, it might have been Ahsoka. But anyways, the line was uh, that a lot of the general's plans involve falling. <laughs> um, I was thinking, I, I think that he, conversation may have taken place between, because I think Mace Windu was on that planet with them when they went after the Zilla Beast. <laughs> I think you're right, so maybe, actually. It may have been yeah, Commander Cody. Maybe said that to Miss Windu, yeah. <laughs> uh, but sorry, we're, we're, look what happens when we start talking. We devolved to Star Wars. We're, we're totally off topic. <laughs> 
No, but you're right. The, 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 the stories are very useful in the classroom when I'm teaching old books and, and ideas that otherwise might seem irrelevant, obsolete, or unfamiliar. Uh, so I do use them in the classroom in order to uh, reach out to students to, 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 to render these uh, ideas or arguments more familiar. Um, and you're right. I mean, there's also this this question of which which characters appeal to you. Uh, do you do you take to an Anakin or do you take to a Peter Parker? Uh, I think it tells you uh, something about uh, where somebody's at in their life at that time. I would I would agree definitely. And uh, before we let you go, I, I know you've got obviously an extensive comic book collection. You're able to delve into and pull tidbits from for this book, which I again I want to recommend everybody. Superhero Ethics from Templeton Press. We'll put a link up in the show notes. Uh, so you can go and get that book from Travis Smith. If uh, with your extensive comic book collection, if let's say, God forbid, there's a, a flood or a fire, and you had to grab three comics from your collection to save, which three would you take? Oh my gosh! Yeah, I was having this nightmare just last month when the <laughs> sump pump kicked in oh, during no. a, a downpour in the middle of the night, and I was like, "Thank goodness the sump pump's working." Um, oh boy, that is a toughie. Uh, I am going to go with Avengers Annual number 10. Um, <laughs> it's too hard. Uh, Alan Moore, uh, whatever happened to the man tomorrow. Oh, that's a good run. Yeah. And, um, oh, my first appearance of Guy Gardner, I believe it's Green Lantern number 59. Yes, that's a great, that, that cover. Uh Good picks, good picks. I, that that those are uh, those are admirable answers. I'm sure I'll change my mind as soon as I get off the phone. <laughs> uh, yeah, if you ask me on a different day, I'll tell you three different answers depending on uh, what my mood is or what I've just seen on TV or whatnot. Uh, Travis Smith, it's been a pleasure to speak with you again. The book Superhero Ethics: Ten Comic Book Heroes, Ten Ways to Save the World. Fascinating read. We appreciate your time today, and thanks for speaking with us. James, I really appreciate the opportunity to be on uh, Geek to Me Radio. Thank you very much. Of course, anytime. That's going to do it for us. Another episode in the books. Again, please make sure you follow me on Twitter and Instagram at geek to me Radio. Check out Facebook.com slash geek to me Radio, And, of course, find geek to me Radio on YouTube. Hit the subscribe button and click that bell icon so you get notifications about our latest shows when they drop. Until next week, my friends. It's not in the way you watch I sound be. Earth 616, good night. Hi, this is James Enstall, host of Geek Me Radio, and in honor of my favorite Themyserian, I've decided to become an Amazon warrior. Harrod, give me strength. The next time you want to buy something from Amazon, go to geektomeradio.com first and click on our Amazon affiliate link. Simply shop like you normally would, and when you check out, a small percentage will go towards supporting the show. So remember, the next time you want to search Amazon for the latest Wonder Woman graphic novel or parts for your invisible jet... Click through from geek 2 me radiocom first. The world was in peril. Would you have me stand by and do nothing?